If you'd like to turn to Jonah, it's three quarters of the way through your Bible. Good luck. It's one or two pages literally in your Bible. Um, it's in, the, in amongst the minor prophets. Minor, not because they're less important, but because their books are shorter. Okay, so have a good look for it. Just to set sail on this, I'm excited for us to begin to um, engage and look at the message of Jonah. This is an incredible book. It's hugely provoking. It is hugely rich and deep. And far be it from our typical picture of what we have as being the story of Jonah. You know, the man on the street understanding of the book of Jonah. This is a book that God wants to grab hold of us through and to revolutionize our hearts. I believe through this series, he wants to widen our hearts, expand our hearts, get a grip of us afresh that we might understand we are here as missionaries in Swindon and out to the nations. That's what we're for. That's what we're about, that we might be a blessing to many. Okay, so that's where we're going. Just to say, helpfully, Nigel gave me a resource this morning, um, which was Jonah, a lift the flat book in, no less. Now, many of us have Jonah in our mind as something like this. It's a story about a guy where God said, go, preach, and Jonah said, no, I'm not going to go, I don't want to, and he ran the other way, and so God caused a storm to come, he got chucked overboard, swallowed by a fish, and then he said, okay, God, your will, not my will, be done. And for many of us, we might think that's a story. We hear that in Sunday school, don't we? All through, we grow up with that story. We get books like this where it just finishes on, at last, Jonah returns to preach the word of God, which he did. But Jonah is much richer than that. It's a story where the, the message of Jonah is powerful and life-transforming. It's not just about a guy who ran away and then relented under the hand of God. It's about a God who is relentless in his pursuit of sinners. And so Jonah is a book about God and his mission. It's about God who, who will go to extremes. He will run further. He will go faster. He will, he will count the cost more than you and I can do. We can't outrun him. We can't escape him. God loves sinners. And so this book is fundamentally a book about God and his mission. So let's go to Jonah chapter 1. Sorry, before we read, let me just make a couple more points. This is a prophetic book. I just want to state this really clearly. You could talk about it later if you'd like to, but believe that Jonah is a real story that really happened. It's not just um, an allegory of Israel, or it's not just a, a myth of like an old fable from years ago. Believe this story really happened, that there really was a guy called Jonah who was sent by God to Nineveh and ended up being swallowed in a whale, and God spat him out. Believe it's a true story that literally happened. Okay, I thank God we're in a church that literally believes the Bible. We literally trust the word of God. We want to we honor it. We want to hold it up. And so we believe that this story is true. The events recorded in it are true. And we'll come back to why in a moment. And also just to say, Jonah is the author of this story. Now, I'm not saying in that he necessarily penned it. I think it was written a short while after his life. But I believe that Jonah after his experience, told friends and colleagues and family his story. He said, hey, this is what happened to me. God got hold of me, and as he told his story, they lived in an oral culture where stories were told through 
um, repeating them one to another. Tell the stories of God. Tell the marvelous works of God one generation to another. And at some point, somebody said, hey, Jonah's died. We need to record this. This is so important. This great mission of God is demonstrated in Jonah's life. So I just want to make that clear because there'll be many people who say, actually, Jonah is just a made-up story. No, our starting point is Jonah is not a made-up story. It's a real story about a real God. So, Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? How on earth can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make this sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord And made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We just pray you would bless us through it this morning. Amen. So this is a pacey story. It's, it's laden with explosive moments. And God is trying to get our attention every point through this story. And so we need to have our radar up this morning. And I just want to encourage you. Say, God, would you speak to me through this? 
Okay, would you, God, would you grab hold of my life afresh through this? Before we can understand precisely what's going on in the message, we need to get a bit of understanding about the context, and so the, the who's who and the where's what of the main characters and locations in the story, okay? So we start, the first character we encounter in this story is God himself. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And so as we said at the beginning, this is a book about God. This is a book about God and his mission. God is the central character in this book. It's easy to read this and think it's Jonah that's the central character. Actually, God is a central character in this book. And then we come to Jonah. Good old Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, we need to just get a few things clear about Jonah because Jonah is not the kind of guy you want to say to your kids, hey, pattern your life after Jonah. Okay, he's not a hero of the faith. There are many heroes of the faith in the Bible that the Bible holds up and says, hey, imitate these guys, imitate these girls, look at their faith in God. So in Hebrews chapter 11, we read about the great heroes of the faith, don't we? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, even Rahab, the prostitute. God holds up as a model of faith. But, hey, where's Jonah? He doesn't make the grade. He doesn't make the list. The prostitute makes the list. But the prophet is absent from the list. So Jonah is not the hero of this story, okay? We're not looking at Jonah to say, right, we're going to become like him. The issue is we are like Jonah. Je suis Jonah. You and I, whether we like it or not, we're like Jonah, as we will see as we go through this story. So we're not holding up Jonah to say, let's become like him. We're holding up Jonah to say, we are like him. God, help us become like Jesus. That's where we're going. So a couple of things about Jonah. What's his story? You see, outside the book of Jonah, we don't know a lot about him. There's two occasions in the Bible where we encounter Jonah outside his story. One of them is when Jesus mentions Jonah in the book of Matthew. And Jesus, there's people saying to Jesus, hey, give us a sign that you're the Messiah. Prove to us you're the Messiah. If you do that, then we'll believe in you. And Jesus comes to them and says, hey, the only sign I'm going to give to you is the sign of Jonah. Hey, you remember Jonah went into the whale, into the belly of the whale, three days, three nights. Jesus is saying Jonah is like a foreshadowing, a type of me. That picture of Jonah in the belly of the whale, dead. Hey, I'm going to go to the grave. Three days and three nights. Jonah is a foreshadowing of me. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, why I believe that this story we're engaging with is not just a, an allegory, not just a myth and legend, because if it was, Jesus would have no problem saying, hey, you know that parable about Jonah? Jesus didn't have a problem with stories. He used stories all the time. He used parables all the time in his teaching. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, hey, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, real Jonah, really in the belly of a whale, really spat back out. Those things really happened to him. And so I just believe Jesus is saying it's a real story. Hey, if Jesus, good enough for Jesus, good enough for us. Argument finished. Right. We're moving on. We encounter Jonah again in 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25. You see, 
Jonah is a well-respected prophet in Israel. So by the time of his story, he's already got celebrity status. So we read this. It says in 2 Kings, God restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hefer. Jonah was a celebrity prophet. Unlike many of the other prophets who had to come to Israel and they prophesied against Israel. They prophesied, hey, you're in trouble with God because of your rebellion, because you've been turning away from him. And they were disliked often by the Jews. Jonah had the privilege of coming and saying, hey, God's going to bless you. God's going to strengthen your borders. God's going to expand your borders. God's going to give you military victory. What a great number to get. To be able to go to your people and prophesy and say, God loves you so much. What a great number, isn't it? Just who doesn't want to get that job? I mean, I'm up for that. Yep, I'm the messenger of good news to you. He went around high-fiving everybody in Israel. He was, he was a dude in their eyes. Jonah had a good number up to this point. There is a problem, however. As we read, God said in verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, what we need to do is just do a bit of quick background on Nineveh because Nineveh is the capital of Assyria and these guys are not best of friends. In fact, you could say they are arch enemies. So Assyria is to the north and the northeast of Israel across the desert and it's to this city, it's to this nation that God sends Jonah. And the Bible talks a lot about Nineveh. Not much about Jonah but a lot about Nineveh. So Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Don't get confused with modern-day Syria. It's, Nineveh's located in modern-day Iraq, about 220 miles or so north of where Baghdad is. And in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 2, we read that God says it's a great city. And then in chapter 3 and verse 2, God says it's an exceedingly great city. This was a city of size and substance and wealth and so we read at the, right at the end of chapter 4, God says there's 120,000 there who don't know their right hand from their left. God's saying there's 120,000 people here who don't know right from wrong. This was a vast city. Excavation work that's been done when they discovered Nineveh reveals walls around the city that are massive. The width of these walls, they can drive three chariots side by side on top of these walls, which are huge. I mean, massive walls. This was a formidable place. And it's to this city that God sends Jonah. Just interestingly, right at the end of chapter 4, not only does God say it's got many inhabitants, we also find out it has many animals, which is useful. So, it wasn't just that Nineveh was a city of great wealth and importance and size and power, but Nineveh was also... a a great city, if you like, because it, it became synonymous with lawlessness, godlessness, evil, wickedness, hatred of God, love of violence. It was a brutal place. We look on the news and we hear about the atrocities of ISIS actually taking place in that region today. I tell you, the Assyrians were worse. 
the records in history of what they did. You can go and Google it. The account of how they treated their enemies and how they, what they did when they committed war, it, they were vicious people. It was a place of corruption. They were famous in the ancient world. In fact, so famous that when Nineveh, was the city, was finally destroyed in 612 BC by the Medes and Persians, we, we see in the prophecy of Nahum that the entire ancient world, in fact, stood up and applauded at their demise. Such was the fear of them and the hatred towards them. Okay, we just need to know it was not a good place. It was the worst of worst places. So, let's pick up this story in verse 2. So God says to Jonah, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. There's other places in the Bible where the wickedness of cities or people or sin comes up before God. And Jonah might be thinking at this point, God, I don't need to go to Nineveh because you can just do a Sodom and Gomorrah on them. You can, you can just destroy them. You don't need me. Look at their wickedness. Come on, God. You don't need me to go. Just, just wipe them off the map. You can do that, God. But God sends his prophet, Jonah, and says, go, declaring the gospel of repentance. Verse 3. And so, of course, Jonah, we expect, a bit like Isaiah. Remember Isaiah? Here I am, God. Send me. Send me. Because, of course, prophets and the people of God want to be used and sent by God. That's what God is doing with us. And so we expect to read, Jonah got up, he arose, and he went to Nineveh. That's what we expect of the people of God, especially prophets, no less. But we discover, verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So here's our map. Here's the weather moment. So Jonah was living somewhere around here. And God says to him, hey, Jonah, over to here, please, buddy. I want you to go and preach a gospel of repentance to these guys, about 500 odd miles. And Jonah says, like, whatever, God, I'm off. And so he drops down to Joppa, to the port at Joppa, and he plans to do his two and a half thousand mile journey to Tarshish, the southern tip of Spain. Now, if we're not careful, again, we can miss the significance of what's going on here. And so it wasn't just that Jonah was being disobedient. I think sometimes we just think that Jonah is just a guy who's disobedient, doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. And so he just thought, no, I'm not going there, I'm going the other direction. Listen, this is not what's taking place. It's not like God is saying to somebody here, hey, you know in a year's time we're going to be going east, we're going to be launching a new site, a new location, and I want you and your family to really be going there, to serve, to join in with Alan, Sarah, and the guys seeing a new kingdom outpost planted in that place, the life of God, the spirit of God coming and being a blessing in that location. And you go, like whatever, God, I'm off west to Royal Wooten Bassett. You see, that's not what's taking place. There was a, yeah, I knew there would be. Um, one day, guys. But it's not just the sense of Jonah's just being like a petulant child, like, our children can be sometimes. Slightly grumpy, hey Jude? Slightly moody. Slightly, I know better than you, God. I mean, Jonah was, he did have that attitude going on in him, of course, but it's a much more serious 
issue than that. Because what we need to realize is we need to, again, go step back into the ancient world and realize that for them, the known world at that time, Tarshish, Spain, was the edge of the known world. It was literally to the extremity. Go any further than Tarshish and you fall off the map. Hey, how far can I escape from God? Remember, the God of Israel who, who inhabits and cares about its borders and its people and its wealth and health and well-being. God's interested in that, Jonah was thinking. I'm going to flee as far as I can. And he runs. He runs. He puts as much distance between God and himself, or so he thinks, as is humanly possible. He was running away from God. Now, I want you to notice this. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3, we read that Jonah had gone down to Joppa, where he went down to the boat. And a storm comes, and we find that Jonah's down in the deepest part of the boat, and he's gone down into a deep sleep, from where he then gets chucked down into the sea, and he gets swallowed down into the belly of a whale, or fish, in fact. Jonah is on a descent away from God. But you see, the author here is kind of using down, 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 down to tell us it wasn't just a physical escaping from God. Jonah was in a spiritual downward spiral run from God. He set his course. Hey, God says, go over east. I'm going to go west. And that moment when you choose to Remove yourself away from where God's leading you. You're not just running away from God physically. You find you're going in a downward spiritual journey. Just notice in verse 3, it says that after paying the fare, Jonah boarded the ship. You see, God sent Jonah to Nineveh. And God says, hey, Jonah, don't worry what it's going to cost. I've got that covered. Don't worry about the resource you need. I've got that covered. Don't worry if you've not got enough strength. I've got that covered. I'll, I'll pick up the bill for this, Jonah. You just go. Hey, Jonah's running the other way, and it costs him. He has to pay his own fare. He doesn't even make it. He doesn't even get a refund. You see, you can run from God, but it always costs you. You can say, I love Jesus, but I'm going to pursue this sin. Jesus, you're Lord of my life, but I get to decide where I go and what I do. It will always cost you. It will always cost you, but, but be led by the Spirit of God. Follow him, his plans, his purposes in your life. And God has always got the bill. He's kind of like the best guy to go out for a meal with. He's like, don't worry, I'm paying. Don't you love those people? <laughs> Drink what you want. Eat what you want. Hey, God's better than that even, you know. Just as a practical illustration, Cy and Fee, when they were... We were together discussing, praying, wrestling through, where are they meant to be? What are they meant to be doing? Just over and over, I said to them, guys, don't worry about how you get there. Your thing is to wrestle out, where's God leading us and where does he want us to go and be and serve? God will do the rest. Don't worry about the disparity between London prices and Swindon prices or how you're going to afford to pay the removals fees or the legal fees. Hey, God's got that covered. Your job is to wrestle out in yourself. Am I going to be led by God or not? Okay, just an example. And God's done it. God's done it. God's led them. It's exciting to be led by God. In verse 3, we see twice that Jonah was running from the presence of the Lord. Part A, but Jonah ran away from the Lord, or 
More helpful would be the presence of the Lord. So the Hebrew word there for presence, and the, the word means seeking the face. So it's not just I'm somewhere in God, and I'm some, God's somewhere around here. The presence of the Lord means about seeking the face of God, seeking the face of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Jonah decided to run away from that being his identity, his location, his purpose. So he, Jonah ran away from the Lord, and at the end, it said he boarded, sorry, he went aboard a ship and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. It's fascinating, isn't it, that Jonah lived just about 250 years or so after King David. And as a kid, he would have grown up in Israel singing the Psalms of David, meditating on them, being taught them. He would have known the Psalms of David and just wonder if, as he was fleeing, where Psalm 139 featured on his radar or not. Let me remind you of it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee? Where shall I go from your presence? David said. If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I go down and make my bed in Sheol, you're there in the grave. You're there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Hey, Jonah knew this. You just think, what was going on in this guy's mind? What stupidness to try and flee the hound of heaven. You can run from God all you like. You might be here this morning and you say, I I love Jesus. But Jesus, your king, I make a deal with you. Hey, it's a 50-50 deal, Jesus. You're Lord of my life, but I decide where I live. You're Lord of my life, but I decide how my relationship with my girlfriend is played out. Jesus, you're Lord of my life, but my money's mine. Okay, you can have my worship, but not my money. It's easy to be like Jonah. It's really frighteningly easy to be like Jonah. And you see, you can run from God. Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, it's not that I'm running from God, I just don't believe there is God. I just think what you're talking about is nonsense, is made up, is rubbish. I just want to say to you, you too are running from God. You might not realize it, you might not believe me when I say that, but you are running from God. The great news of what we're going to discover in Jonah is that God runs further. He runs faster. He's more relentless. You think you're running hard from God right now. He'll catch you up. He'll catch you up. He loves you so much that he will catch you up. You're here this morning. God is pursuing you. He wants you. He wants to be Lord of your life because in him, when we're in him, living in him, at peace with him, at harmony, he's our joy, he's our identity, he's the center of our life. I tell you what, that is a precious place to be. It's a frightening place to be in the hands of a God who is happy to discipline us when we run from him. Can I just plead with you in case I forget at the end? Turn to him this morning. If you're running, turn to him. If, you're, if you've headed off to Tarshish, it could be all kinds of things. When God's called you to go to Nineveh, can I encourage you, implore you, turn, repent, turn your back on your own way, turn to God, and he will embrace you. He loves you. So Jonah's on this downward spiral, and the question we need to ask and answer is why was Jonah disobeying God? We know that Nineveh is this terrible place, and some would say, hey, Jonah was just afraid. He was afraid that it might cost him his life. Or 
He was afraid, maybe, that he's had this celebrity status. And he's had success as a prophet up until now. But if he goes to somewhere where he's not known so much, somewhere where he's not respected, he might fail. I mean, imagine that, that a prophet of God might fail on his mission. And he says, God, that is just too big, too hard, too costly. Maybe he's just thinking, what can one man do against such a city? Now, if you have done your homework in preparation for this series and you've read through Jonah, you will know that we don't need to guess why Jonah ran away. In fact, Jonah himself tells us in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says this, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. It seemed wrong that God would bless the Ninevites. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said to you when I was still at home? So he's talking back about this moment. He's saying, isn't this what I said to you when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious God. I know that you love to save sinners. You're a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah says, God, I knew why you wanted me to go to those Ninevite scumbags. I knew that you're the God that loves to save pagan, idol worshippers, godless men and women full of evil and wickedness. And I knew that you would shower your grace upon them as we heard this morning. You're the God of grace. And Jonah says, I know what you're like. And God, I don't like what you're like. Hey, we can be like Jonah easily. We are like Jonah. Hey, God. Come and bless us this morning. Oh God, you're good. Hey, do you know God loves you? Yeah, I know God loves me. Isn't he good to you? Yeah, he's good to me. And we can do all these kind of spiritual high fives around the place, reminding each other that we're loved by God. And we say, well, of course, he loves me. I'm part of the community of God's people. I go to church. I even give some money. But do you realize Jonah's condition of his heart was he forgot who God had called him to be? He had pride in his heart. He had nationalistic pride. He was a racist. He hated the Assyrians. He hated the Ninevites. You see, this is why this series is going to be so good for us, because God wants to do surgery on our hearts. See, we all have Ninevites in our hearts. We all have Ninevites lurking in our hearts that God wants to root out. See, he wants to broaden our heart and our love for the lost and those who are involved in all kinds of wickedness and evil God loves them, and he wants to use us to rescue them. So Jonah says, I know what you're like, God, and if I go where you want me to go, I know what your plan is, so I'm running the other way. He was terrified that the gentle, sorry, gentle, they weren't gentle, the Gentile pagans might get the blessing of God that Jonah thought was for the people of Israel. It's like, no, this is our God. Our blessing. We're the ones that have the revelation of salvation for us, the people of Israel, the Jewish people. He forgot God's covenant promise with Abraham. That, hey, through you, Abraham, and your descendants, I'll make you a blessing to the nations of the world. Hey, Israelite nation, the purpose of what I'm doing with you is that you might be a light to the Gentiles. Jonah got self-centered. He had a self-centered moment. In fact, God wasn't king on the throne in Jonah's life. Jonah was king of his own throne. Well, you might be God, but I'm deciding my fate. 
I'm the master of my destiny, the captain of my own ship. Just wonder what the Ninevites are in each of our hearts. See, it's a bit like God coming to you or one of us and saying, hey, I've got a mission for you. You see, the land of Syria and Iraq right now is full of evil and wickedness. Men that call themselves ISIS and are doing evil, wicked acts of terror, atrocities. And I'm saying to you, hey, church, wake up, get up, go and preach to them the gospel of grace, the message of repentance, because I love those guys. I love those men that are causing that atrocity. I love them so much that I'm sending you to go and tell them that I love them. God's like, I want to turn them from wreckers into worshippers. I want to turn them from murderers into men who worship me, the living God. I Just when you think of it like that, I don't know about what your human heart says in that moment. I kind of find myself going, God, find another guy. God, look at them. They don't deserve your grace and mercy. Hey, God, I do. I've gone to church all my life. My parents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. But So God, I deserve it, but, but not those guys. God says, no, those guys. The unrelenting God of heaven will pursue even the worst of sinners because he loves them. You see, Jonah fundamentally had some issues in his heart. He worshipped the idol of self. He set himself up as God in his own life. He knew Yahweh, the God of Israel, but he had decided to forget his identity in God. He set himself up as Lord of his own life. I want to do what I want to do, God. I'll go where I want to go, and there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, yes, there is. You see, I just want to say this, because we might not realize, but by the way, there is always a boat you can run away on. There's always a boat with its sails ready, waiting in port for you to go and hop on. It's not hard if you find yourself saying, hey, God, I need some more money and you don't seem to be providing. Hey, there's a boat waiting for you called dodgy tax returns. It's there and waiting. It's ready. You can easily jump on it and become master of your own life, run away from God. Or maybe, maybe you've just got a bit bored in your marriage. The spark's gone. Oh God, I'm a red-blooded male. Hey, there's plenty of beds that are waiting to set sail. You can run away from God. It's not difficult. But I tell you, it will always cost you. Okay, it will always cost you to run from God. And do you know what? He loves you so much, he will pursue you. He will run after you. You can keep running and running, but God will pursue you. That's how much he loves you. See, the challenge for us in our culture today is it's so easy to escape, isn't it? Cars, transport. It was harder in Jonah's day. Down to Joppa, on a rickety old boat. Hey, we just hop in the car, go down the road. We can, I don't like this place. I've fallen out with my next door neighbors or my, my mates at church. Hey, we're gone. You've upset me. We're gone. We have wealth, education. It's easy to go. It's easy to run from God. You think God hasn't got you here in Gateway, here in Swindon, because he has a purpose for you. I'm, I'm sorry to put it like this, but you're part of the people of God because 
we annoy one another. And through annoying one another, God sanctifies us. It's amazing. That's why I like to be annoying to people, because God uses me to bless you. (laughs) You do know that, don't you? That's why we're part of this body. Eugene Peterson, he said it like this. Our vocation is to live out the implications of God in community, not sailing off into the exotic seas in search of fame and fortune or nice holidays. Without limited routine, there would be no way of confronting human nature. Limitations are actually a discipline to destroy illusions. See, oh, see the roots of illusions within the longing to be dramatically and satisfyingly in control of my life. You see, God limits our freedom because he loves us. He limited Jonah's freedom. He said, Jonah, I want you in that place because I love you and I love them. And I want to do work through you to bless them. And I know what's best for you. And so, guys, we need to understand that actually it's a good thing to be committed into the local church. We're so tempted to, to flee off to our Tarshish at times. It's better over there. The people don't annoy me so much. I've just got fed up. I, I join a local church and then things are actually expected of me. Well, yes, hello. We're the church here to bless one another, equip one another, and live out this mission of God. Yes, things are expected of us when we're in the local church. It's hard work being a family. But this is where we work it out, this mission that God has us on. You know the story, though, don't you, that he gets on the boat, he sails away to Tarshish, happily evermore, Hey, no, he doesn't. God throws a storm. He hulls a storm onto the sea. The sailors are in panic. They begin to cry out to their gods, little g-gods, saying, rescue us, O God of the sea. Rescue us, O God of the wind. Don't let us die. And nothing happens. They go to Jonah, down in the boat, fast asleep. Hey, you run away from God. Welcome to the land of depression, by the way. Welcome to the land of trying to sleep it to ignore him. Sleep it off, guys. That's what Jonah was thinking. I'll sleep this one off. I'll get to Tarshish. God will have forgotten me. I will have forgotten God. Hey, no, the the captain comes down to him and the the same call that came to Jonah in the first place from God in in verse 2, Jonah, arise. Cry out against Nineveh. Hey, the captain comes to Jonah while he's fast asleep and he says, hey, Jonah, arise. Get up. Cry out to your God, we're perishing here. Maybe he will save us. You see, Jonah was happy for 120,000 people to perish that they might not get blessed. This captain is wanting to save the lives of five or six sailors and an annoying Jewish guy on board. Hey, cry out to your God. And they cast lots to find what happened. The lot falls to Jonah. And so they turn to him in verse 8 and they say, do, 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 do. tell us what's happened. This is your fault. What's going on? Jonah gives his excuse and with great arrogance and just fearlessness, he says, hey, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the living God and I fear him. No, Jonah, you don't fear him. You're running from him. You couldn't care less about him right now. And they say, what must we do to calm this storm? And he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and then it will be stilled. You see, some people think at this point that Jonah's suddenly repenting. It's like, okay, 
I've been running. God, you've got me. Maybe I need to just sacrifice myself to save these guys. Jonah was not repenting at this point. He does in a bit, but not here. You see, at this point in the story, if Jonah really wanted to repent, he would have said, hey, guys, I've got to go back. I've got to go to Nineveh. I'm on a mission from God to go and bless those guys. Turn the boat around and it will stop immediately. But he doesn't. His thing is, I would rather die than see those guys blessed. I don't want anything to do with it, God. Guys, chuck me overboard. Hey, he's right, the waves do cease. But God's not done with him. And the irony of this story is that these guys, as they do that, they, they suddenly turn from worshipping gods with little g's to Lord, you'll see in your Bible, Lord, capital letters, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they say to him, God, don't hold us account to this. Forgive us for having to do this to this guy. We don't want this, but, but this is something that you've done God, you are having your way with this guy. And they find themselves making vows and sacrifices to God. And they chuck Jonah overboard. But before that, they row as hard as they can. These guys don't want even Jonah to perish. They're trying to row back themselves. But Jonah hasn't had a heart changed by this point. He hasn't repented. He's not repentant. He doesn't want to see God bless others. Oh, the irony that Jonah would run from seeing pagan Gentiles saved and there on the boat with the ones he's trying to escape through their means, they get saved and encounter the living God. God will work even through your and my rebellion. That doesn't mean rebel against God and be sinful, but God will even take those things and bring blessing because he is in control. He is sovereign and he is Lord over all. We'll pick up next week Jonah in the belly of a fish. I just, I wonder if we could stand for a moment and I'll pray quickly and we'll finish. But I just wonder right now, what are you running from God? Where are the Ninevehs and the Ninevites and the, the pagan Gentiles that you can't stand? Maybe it's your neighbor because she parks across your driveway. I'm not going to talk to her about the gospel. She annoys me. Maybe it's your work colleague who, who just always seems to get the promotion that you want every time they beat you to it. I'm not going to tell them about the grace of God and, and repentance that leads to salvation and eternal life through Jesus. They annoy me. God, give me somebody else I like. Maybe you care more about what your friend, your family, your neighbor thinks of you and you, you worship at the same altar that Jonah did, the idol of self-worship. And you say, I care more about what they think of me than what God thinks of me. So there's no way I'm going to possibly tell them that, hey, I'm this crazy guy that loves Jesus and I live for him. Um, Newsflash, they already know you're crazy. (laughs) God is in the business of rescuing sinners. He is in the business of rescuing the worst kind of sinners. Hey, that's you and me. And he loves you. You know, he loved, we're going to see this, he loved Jonah so much that he didn't let Jonah go. He said, you're my boy. You're my kid for this task. I love you. I love you so much, Jonah. I'm not going to let you go. No, I can't let you flee because I love you. And I love those guys so much. And Jonah, I'm going to do a work so deep in your heart. What you need right now is not to have your arm bent behind your back. You need to encounter my gospel afresh that I 
love. I save, I rescue, and I redeem those who are far from me, who are in rebellion to me. You know, guys, that's what God's done with us. That's the privilege we have. So, Lord, we just pray. Lord, help us to become more like Jesus over these weeks in Jonah. And, Lord, I pray you would fire within us a mission heart for Swindon. That's what we're here for. That's our primary purpose is to go and be a light to this town and the nations of the world. It's what you've got us here for. And so we say, have your way within us, oh Lord God. May your hand be upon us, Lord, that we might be a blessing to those right now in our minds and hearts that we don't like. Work your spirit in and through us. It's what we're here for, is to be a blessing. So I pray, Lord, help us to have a turn of heart where we need to, to encounter afresh your grace, even this week. Lord, help us to not be like Jonah, Help us to be lovers of you, men and women who seek your face and fear you. We love you, Lord God. Just pray your blessing would be on each one of us as we go, Lord, and pray that you will just provoke us to to consider our neighbor, to consider our friends and our family this week, and to have courage and faith that you are the God who rescues indeed. And we pray this for your glory and the majesty of your name, King Jesus. Amen. Somehow I've been into